I felt as an immigrant, all I had done, a lot of what I had done through the years was to acclimate myself and to become more uniform, homogenized with what was socially acceptable, normal type of cooking, eating, drinking, looking, practicing medicine. You know, that's how they beat us up. They, they create these factory-made physicians who can, who can talk the talk, who can deliver uh, medicine in a uniform, homogenized, acceptable way. And so I think that's when I broke out of my mold and I, and I started looking for a community of people and wanted to encourage the whole idea of embracing your inner cook and, you know, making it an important part of your life. I think, um, you know, as you know, like cooking at home, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very special time where you can nurture, you know, bonds with your family. You know, you can make your way to a man's heart. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Before we get into the show, let's talk about this week's sponsor, Deputy. In healthcare, there are smart pieces of technology that businesses can't live without. Deputy has become one of those essential platforms for more than 250,000 workplaces. It's helping medical practices schedule their staff more efficiently to meet peaks in patient demand. And it makes easy to adjust schedules when the unexpected happens, like staff calling out sick. You can use Deputy on any device on the go. Within a few minutes of picking it up, you'll see why it has hundreds of glowing reviews from managers and staff alike. To find out more and try Deputy for free, go to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash deputy. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of medicine, marriage, and money, Dr. Namitik Kansal. She is a practicing internist and geriatrician here in the States for the past 12 years, but has been a medical professional doctor for the past 22 years. She's a loving wife of 19 years to a realtor, a mom to two feisty toddlers, a little girl, little boy. And the reason I'm having her on our show today, a cooking enthusiast with a passion for food, music, and spirituality, which we are going to dive into. So thank you so much for being here, Namita. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> so let's get started. Let's just tell, let's talk, talk about you, where you are living now, what you're doing. Uh, Kate, I feel like such a celebrity. I think I've arrived uh, to a certain degree. When Kate invites me to be on a podcast, I feel so ill-qualified. But thank you so much for having me. Well, um, I have been... Um, a doctor for 22 years. So I grew up in India in a military family and uh, I went to Armenia for medical school and uh, I left India at the age of 17 because my father was uh, quite the visionary and brave man to send his daughter out to explore the world on her own terms. And uh, so he funded my education in Armenia and I had to learn my medicine in Russian 
So I picked up a language and I did all my medical schooling in Russian. So textbooks and all. So fluency, like to have that level of fluency in about a year. <laughs> so my father was was kind of interesting because he said, well, my girl can pack it all in. You know, I was reasonably good uh, academically. And so he said, you know, let's take this on. Did you know Russian before this? No, I had no idea. How do you, how do you learn Russian in <laughs> yes, so it was, you know, so they have this really nice program in Armenia and actually in a lot of parts uh, of, of the former Soviet Union where you can, where there is a preparatory faculty before you start your medical school and it is about a year and it's for foreign students who really want to like immerse themselves into the Russian culture and actually learn learn medicine like the locals do and so that's the program i got myself into back in 1992 and i graduated with honors in 1999 hence i have been um, i have been a medical doctor since i graduated and i have a license to practice in armenia uh since 1999 which is 22 years uh but then i went back to india and uh sadly there were some things my father passed away he was my biggest cheerleader he he passed away in the last year of my medical school and, um, you know, I, I qualified myself some more uh, in India and I got my medical license to work in India. And then two years into my life back in India, you know, taking care of my family and myself and getting used to this new life without my father, uh, met, uh, you know, marriage proposal came around, you know, from my husband to be in the U.S. And I came to the U.S. in October 2002. And then, uh, you know, got myself into the whole business of credentialing and uh, becoming the doctor here. So I started my, my internal medicine residency in San Francisco in 2005 and graduated 2008 and then did my, uh, my one-year clinical fellowship in geriatrics here in San Francisco as well and have been a practicing uh, board-certified internist and geriatrician doing post-acute care most recently, working for the city and county of San Francisco since then. So all my medical training has been in San Francisco because that's where my husband was. Okay. Okay. Before that, Armenia and India. So, I mean, you have experience from all over. What have you not seen? <laughs> Lots. <laughs> but, but it's been an interesting ride because it gives you a you know, uh, I think a larger pr perspective and appreciation for for different cultures, food, and 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 uh, you know, just humanity. You know, just to see world and to be to be able to do it, to have the privilege and honor to do it as a young child who was not supervised. You know, to do it on your own terms, which was very very special. And my, I'm so grateful to my parents to have given me that opportunity. Wow, what do you think were the biggest differences between like those Armenia, India, and here when when it comes to practicing medicine? Uh, well, obviously technology, right? I mean, uh, we're talking about developing countries, so you know the uh, I think the reliance on technology is much more here in the U.S. You know, we do rely a lot on on testing, diagnostics, and everything. And I think our clinical skills could could get a little bit better. I think, and and the volume of the sheer volume of patients that you see in these countries in Armenia and India is way more. I mean, I would be seeing up to about 60, 65 patients in a day, for example, in a regular clinic in India. Of course, it was different type of primary care. It was different type of attention, but we got a lot of work done. Still, we're able to have meaningful relationships with our, pa with our patients. You know, 
uh, in India, they they do put doctors on a on a kind of a pedestal. So you are looked at as a demi demigod, if you, if I may say so, because it's a very respectable profession. So people listen to you differently. It's a different relationship. Although things have morphed over the last twenty twenty five years, but. Um, so that's the era in which I did my medicine. So there was a lot of bedside, good clinical examination. And, you know, you, you did it, you, you practice medicine the old fashioned way. So I would say that um, factor of time. And I think the factor of relationships between the patients and the, the physician and the whole healthcare system was, was designed differently. And so, I mean, how did you handle that? Is like, that's something that you transitioned to smoothly? Is that something that made you upset, sad? Any of the emotions? Well, it was a little bit of everything. It was a little bit of a sigh of relief to not have to deal with such a large volume of patients and to be able to find time to document and to, to think through, you know, because I think I became a more thorough physician here because I, I did spend more time and I did do a better job in just collecting better clinical history uh, and documenting better. Uh, so it was good in that. Um, uh, what else? I think it was a different style, just a different style. But I don't think I've lost my skill. I think I still enjoy some of that. Uh, and I enjoy some of this. <laughs> okay, so then you moved here. So you moved here for um, for your hubby, right? Yes, that's right. Yep. Okay, so did, uh, did you tell me already, was it love at first sight? Like, okay, you said I, earlier offline, it was love at first sound. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, ours was an intriguing story. Even when I think about it, I, I really wonder how it all happened. So, you know, we are, I'm, a, I'm a very, very intuitive person. I think the biggest strength I have in me is intuition. And I think I would say the same for my husband. So, you know, as I shared with you back in 1998, just a year before I graduated medical school, my father passed away a few, a few months shy of my graduation. So I went back home and, um, you know, within a few months, you know, I think my mother was starting to feel the itch. Her daughter was getting older. You know, it's, it's, it was kind of imperative for her to get her daughter married. And so my sister was egging her on. My sister was older to me by 10 years and lives in Canada. So she's, he's, she's hearing this, this thing happen. And so how old are you at this point? 26. 26. Okay. And you were getting older. Okay. <laughs> 26. Yes. <laughs> so 26. And so, you know, it was it was conventional back then, you know, to have your kids married like 25 to 28, somewhere there. And uh, so my sister was egging my mom. And so one of the different ways in which you can you can get married is to, you know, you could meet your, you know, the love of your life. You could be you could be a semi arranged or an arranged marriage where, you know, families and friends introduce you to this person and, you know, you meet and you do that. Um, or you could you could meet people uh, via a matrimonial ad in the newspaper. So you know we didn't have we didn't have robust internet back then. So uh, what had happened is my mother advertised in one of these national dailies, you know, talking about you know a doctor girl, you know, who had qualified here and she was looking for an appropriate match, you know, a well qualified person who's at least a master's and could you know. And international qualifications would be okay. She was open to the idea of sending her daughter out and such. So there was this. And so funnily enough, Mullen's oldest uncle had decided to go back, who had lived with him for a long, a long time here in the U.S. and practically raised him, you know, because he was with the family when he was growing up. And he never married, never had a family. So this man, you know, had no real, uh, you know, ties here in the U.S. And he wanted to go back and retire in India. And he was in his 70s. So for 
no good reason this old man in his 70s is reading the matrimonial section which is like 20 pages thick in india and he's sifting through all these different uh, girls and and he and he then he chances upon my particular ad that my mom had and says i want to respond to this girl so lo and behold he writes to us and he says well i have a nephew in the us and would you be interested to know more my mom said fine and here uh, and so and then so it so happened that we 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 corresponded with him in in india and then somehow my sister got involved because she was locally in north america and she could facilitate more conversations and um and it so happened coincidentally that uh, mullen's mom was traveling to india for just a vacation and so mullen was intrigued by my bio which had landed in his hand by this time and uh and he said well mom screen this girl out for me will you and then that'll be and then we'll we'll see if it works out and so here i am so my mom and i traveled to delhi we were not living in delhi at the time which is a more you know bigger city and met mullen's mom as she had just got off the plane literally and and met with her brother older brother his mullen's uncle and so they talked to me and the uncle is all excited and says i found my girl i'm sure mullen is going to like her so he's he's already jumping up and down mom is confused that's not how it works uncle you know M- mullen has to meet the girl he ha- they have to talk and uh, so here i am go back to my home uh, and then mullen calls me because of course you know numbers were shared at that at that point mullen calls me and we have our first phone call for 45 minutes or so where we just having a casual introductory conversation about life about you know what we think about life and well, career and such and literally he made up his mind that i was the girl for him after that very first conversation which is why it was love love at first sound for mullen for me it was love at the third sound because i said mullen let's talk again in about a week and another week and another week and by the third time around i just felt so comfortable with this man that i thought he was the man for me i hadn't seen him i'd had not heard about him we had no common friends had never seen each other not even you know just a picture maybe and that was about it and i said well looks don't matter i think it feels so real and it feels so um natural that this this is this is the way it's going to be and so believe it or not kate we decided to actually arrange our weddings without seeing each other we set a wedding date without seeing each other after the what, what conversation like after how many weeks or months of Three- conversations because that's the, that's the amount of time it took for me to say mullen i think i'm sort of ready how do you think he says i've been ready since i talked to you the first time what was it that made you guys just connect and click and know you know it was it was a he was a genuinely warm caring person who was very respectful of a person who had traveled already quite a quite a bit by this time had had some opinions about life uh was reasonably grounded with family values you know and um you know and and just wanted to have a bit of a professional life and also was wanted to have a family one day maybe maybe not and and who's going to be fun he he just he he just embraced all of me he just said i just like you as who you are and and the energy you bring he said it was it was your loving energy and warmth that that was a connection for me it felt real and for me i think it was his genuine warmth and respect for me and accepting me for who i was as i was 
Wow. The part about her bio that intrigued him, was it the fact that like you went to medical school, that you had been traveling too? I mean, you learned Russian. Like what was it that stuck out to him, you think, in your bio that made him want to talk to you? I think it was, he says it was everything. He said, you know, you came from a very solid military background. You know, you, you know, you're a spiritual person. You're a peppy person. You seem to have other interests outside of medicine. You're not this dry person who's just very academic, you know, focused about just being a professional. You know, you're just a normal person who has various hobbies and would be a fun life partner to have. Oh, that is so sweet. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then you, you, you set the wedding. Where was the wedding? In, in Delhi. Okay. So you got married in Delhi. Was it like one of those like five day long Indian, you know, 5,000 people there or something? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so big fat Indian wedding. Uh, I think we curtailed the list to at least, I think it was about 450 by the time we got to counting, but there may have been some extras. People like show up at these weddings, friends of friends of friends, and you never even know who they are. And they're still there. They're enjoying, they're having a good time. Uh, so yeah, it was a big fat wedding. And this is despite the fact that Mullen was not even living in India. I mean, it, this was just extended family. And, um, you know, and I had a very small family, uh, you know, uh, in India, but, uh, yeah, you know, because it was all scattered and I think I'd lost a few people by that time, you know, between uncles and aunts and such. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then tell me about your funny story about the, the tailoring. Was that to do with like tailoring outfits for your wedding or when did that happen? Yes. So, you know, so you can imagine, right? I mean, irony of sorts, we hadn't seen each other, met each other. And it was very awkward trying to get details about clothing sizes and all that, you know. So I generally asked Malin, you know, what type of, a, are you a sort of, sort of a size medium, a large, you know, I, you know, about what is your height and roughly like, what do you weigh? So I can sort of think about, it because I wanted to tailor suits and, and some ethnic wear for India, for him to come and wear at the wedding. You know, we have very elaborate uh, wedding clothes, as you've probably seen. Go to professional tailor and get all the measurements. Like you need all those exact measurements. Right. So I, so, you know, eventually, so back and forth, right. This is the sort of the, almost like the pre-internet timeframe where we're not like really corresponding so much, you know, not FaceTiming and all that. And so, you know, I got some sort of scattered measurements and, um, and I said, okay, well, you're, you know, you're about 5'10 and you're, you're about, you weigh this much. And so I'll tell the tailor and they'll do a decent job. You know, they'll get something done. It may not fit you perfectly, but it'll be good enough. So, and we, we weren't about perfection anyway, you know, even back then. And so I go to the tailor and, uh, and uh, you know, and then the uncle also obliges me. He says, okay, I'll give you some pant measurements. You probably need to have some waist and some, you know, some other things. So I go to the tailor and he says, I, I'm sorry, I can't make anything for you. So I said, why can't you make anything? Why can't you make the pants and, you know, the dress? He said, the top I can, you know, I'll, I'll wing it. But then the bottoms, it's not possible for a human being to be this kind of, this type of, to have this type of measurement. And I said, are you sure you're getting married to the right person? I said, this is, this is a little awkward Taylor talking back to me like that. He said, well, you know, this man has a very long torso and very short legs. Maybe he's a midget. Are you marrying a midget? So, so I said, why? What happened? So apparently the uncle gave me the inseam measurement for the pant as opposed to the actual waist down pant measurement. So you can imagine we're missing about six, seven inches of, of um, space. And so the tailor was very concerned. He said, <laughs> so I had a very, very, very concerned tailor. 
and he brought all these doubts. Are you sure you're marrying the right man? You know, you have a, you have good relationships with people, you know, in India. And they, they talk a lot. They get it. They meddle into your life. They get intrusive because they're concerned. <laughs> so finally, we figured out that it was NC measurement versus waist down measurement, which was the problem. And so once we figured that out, everybody was able to breathe. My mother was able to breathe. My sister became less frantic. Okay, it's okay. He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh because you didn't know you're like oh my gosh I could be marrying somebody half my height and then exactly and it was like oh this could be a weird person you know I, I maybe this you know they photoshopped their pictures and maybe they've got short legs and smooth that over now you've been married for for 19 years yes what have you learned about what what is your definition what makes your marriage successful I like to ask all my guests what is your definition of marital interdependence? Yes, I was thinking about it a little bit. Um, so if I may, I think um, it is a divinely designed relationship of two people, uh, which is based on loving trust and respect, and also has high accountability where partners play to each other's strengths. I think that's what marital interdependence has been for me. So divine intervention, but it's it's a relationship built on trust and respect. And we play to each other's strengths. I love it. Yeah. No, that's it. Because you can't, I mean, if you're playing to each other's weaknesses or getting upset about the weaknesses, then that's the setup for disaster. So to each other straight, divine, uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. There is definitely a part of divine intervention, his uncle sorting through the 20 pages of matrimonial picking you out. Like, come on. <laughs> that's perfect. And then uh, I just want to transition a little bit to food, right? Because that's why I have you here. I've, I've connected with you through, well, at first I connected with you at Date With, was it Date With Destiny when we were like on the big screen together sometimes yes. dancing? And then I'm in your Facebook, your Facebook group, your food. Okay, tell us what it's, what it's called. Tell the audience what your Facebook group is called. Embrace Your Inner Cook embrace your inner cook and i have like this little tiny inner cook that lives like in the very very center that has to like crawl out occasionally so it's very hard but when i see your <laughs> I see your your food pictures i'm just always inspired to eat healthier which i did you know i have actually been doing a better job with this is how i've connected with you is through food so i want you to talk a little bit about your passion with food and how this started when this started in your life and what it looks like now yeah, you know, I think the seeds of all my love for food, of course, came from home. You know, mom, mama was was an amazing cook. She's a very multifaceted person who was into just about everything. I think uh, she and I are the most alike. If I was to say that, my sister is more like my father, but I'm I'm most more or less like a replica of my mom with many of her interests. Um, she had a myriad of others, but I have taken the, at least the food part of it. Um, so growing up and being exposed to multicultural cuisine, intercontinental cuisine that Mama painstakingly prepared from scratch, you know, was something that always was very, very satisfying. Um, uh, it was an expression of love of Mama. I felt it was a time for togetherness. Um, I was very pampered. So even because I left home at 17, um, believe it or not, Kate, I knew only how to boil water, eggs, maybe make some tea, a bad version of it, Indian style tea, maybe make some toast and maybe that was about it. And then guess what? Because my father was such a brave man and he and he believed in me and he said, okay, well, I'll just drop you in Armenia. There is 
there are hostels and but he didn't tell me that there I would have to cook for myself and and do all this other schooling and everything and so lo and behold I was dropped into this water and had to learn to swim of course you know I had all the the memories from mama's cooking and all of that and so here I was scrambling around trying to make ends meet feed myself keep myself afloat in a different country different language different culture learn medicine in a different <laughs> environment away from family but that's how i immersed myself and so it was a it was a great time you know learning how to cook from scratch in a different country and not having anybody to really guide you and learn from your own bad experiments good experiments and you know sort of go along um so that's kind of where my love for food started back home and then i sort of nurtured it in medical school and it continued you know uh, I, i got married to my husband I, I laugh with I laugh with him, you know. Both of us laugh and say, you know, both of us were not a couple. I already came with with baggage, so it it was only a family of five. So I came with me. I came with my love for family values, with my love for food and music and spirituality, and of course, it was the two sum with with all of this. So. That was your baggage. That was my baggage. So my husband had to accept all of this, you know, so the medicine and and the spirituality and the music and the food and everything, it was all going to be a part of me. Um so that's how that, that happened and you know through residency training and fellowship, you know, I did I did some cooking. I wasn't able to do a lot of it and you know my husband stepped up and you know he did a lot of it uh, he did, we did some of it on the weekends and whenever time helped and i think we i've done i've done more and more of it you know as time is permitted and then of course when the children came you know came into my life in the last 5 years i think that's when i think my creativity and my own inner cook has really blossomed i would say because i've really taken to being my own cook and and accepting myself as the person that i am and then in the last year i would say you know with the pandemic i think it it perturbed a, a nerve in all of us i think we we were all shaken to the core life was not to be taken for granted not even a single moment of our life and that's when relationships nurturing our you know people we love and 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 care about and and creating maybe sustainable bonds in our communities became very very important for me I think I uh I think you and I connected even before date with destiny it was through leverage and growth summit right so peter kim summit um in uh, march 2020 and then the leverage and growth accelerator group is kind of where we started seeing a little bit of each other online and i was i just felt encouraged that i wanted to have that sense of belonging because i felt as an immigrant all i had done a lot of what i had done through the years was to acclimate myself and to become more uniform homogenized with what was socially acceptable normal type of cooking eating drinking looking practicing medicine you know that's how they beat us up they they create these factory made physicians who can who can talk the talk who can deliver uh, medicine in a uniform homogenized acceptable way and so i think that's when i broke out of my mold and i and i started looking for a community community of people and wanted to encourage the whole idea of embracing your inner cook and and 
you know, making it an important part of your life. I think, um, you know, as you know, like cooking at home, um, you know, it's it's a it's a very very special time where you can nurture, you know, bonds with your family. You know, you can make your way to a man's heart through his tummy. You've probably heard that. So yeah, and uh, you can make your way through your kids' heart through their tummies too. Um, you can have endearing conversations. You can have difficult and easy conversations and fun conversations over food. Um, and it's a time to, um, it's, it's, it's a relaxing and fulfilling time, you know. And I would say that if we didn't hold ourselves to a very perfectionistic standard and kill ourselves to achieve a picture-perfect presentation and just have fun with the different flavors and textures of, of food and bounty that God has given us, I think life would be great and prioritize it and not deeper personalize it the way we have in the US, you know, where things come packaged in commodities looking pretty, you know, and you can open it and make it look pretty on a, you know, uh, on a plate just because that's how it is conventionally. So I think just having fun and, and like lowering our standards of perfection, I think that's kind of what I was going for. And I just wanted to encourage people to do more of that. And I think the pandemic in a way already asked us to embrace our inner cook because as you know, more and more people were out there, you know, baking their sourdough breads, you know, you know, spending more time gardening because now they were able to work from home. There was more flexibility around things. So it was a perfect time. I think it was a perfect storm for us to get started, for me to feel like I could do that. And I also wanted to leave a food legacy for my, for my kids. I mean, I wanted to start a food legacy for them. You know, I wanted them to experience what growing up in a, in a family where parents like food is, feels like. And to share, share that with them, because also I think uh, a lot of us, I think most of the world went through some type of a crisis, right? I mean, you can call it my midlife crisis where I'm starting to think of myself, you know, being in the medical profession on the front lines, taking care of my, you know, vulnerable older patients. Um, I was thinking, do I really have a day to live? You know, maybe I get COVID and I could be gone, you know? And so there, was, there were thoughts like... Um, if I was to be on my deathbed tomorrow, would I be happy leaving the world the way I have lived it till now? And there was a big, strong voice inside of my head that said, no, I think there are a lot of things that the world has not seen of you. You, want, you ought to be able to share some of what you have. You have personal talents, you know, share it with people, you know, give whatever little you have to the people. You'll feel more abundant, more fulfilled happier, relaxed, calmer, you'll have that sense of belonging. So those were the kinds of conversations I was having in my mind too, through the pandemic. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If I were Okay. If I were to die tomorrow, would I be happy leaving the world as it is right now? You're like, no, I've got to start sharing more of myself, all of myself. Oh my gosh. And, so, and do you talk about this kind of stuff with your patients to like, does the food conversations come up with them at all? Or is this just some one of your extra passions outside of medicine? No, I think it flows everywhere. You know, I think it uh, it it goes naturally. I mean, it flows where it, it's supposed to flow naturally. I don't make it a point to like talk about it if it does not belong in a conversation. But if it does, uh, I, I share food freely at work. 
I share food freely with my patients. <laughs> I share food with my community, with my family, so friends. And so we talk about it. I talk to my nutritionist. I work in post-acute care. So a lot of the patients do have to rely on hospital food, but I do talk to my nutritionist. And so we, they and us, uh, we talk about, um, uh, you know, how I, how I envision, um, you know, food to be an important part and how they could make the patient experience a little bit better. Oh, okay. So you work with the nutrition, your nutritionist works with your patients. Yes. Okay. Now, okay. And then what about your toddlers? Cause my toddlers are super picky eaters. Is this just something, did you avoid that by just always cooking them lots of different international types of foods or did they go through that phase ever? Well, my I have picky eaters even right now. Uh, my son, I think he should be the king of the picky picky eater world if there is one. Oh my gosh, he has uh, driven me to creative insanity. If there is if there is any such thing, uh, but you know, I'm that type of person that I cannot give up. So if I cannot take no for an answer, and so I'm a little bit of a persevering mom. So I feel like part of the whole food allergy business has come about because we have allowed our toddlers to, to live out their tantrums to the fullest. <laughs> and so I think, of course, I mean, you have real food allergies where a person is totally intolerant of something and, you know, they have life-threatening reactions. I'm not talking about that. But I think if you were to immerse a child and introduce them lovingly, in different and package food in a different way and you know make it flavorful or allow different textures and colors and maybe create a story or a nice experience or distract them just plain just distract them with something else they'll be they'll they'll be less food allergies and they'll be healthier and happier toddlers and kids and teenagers and healthier food behaviors growing up okay how do we do that Okay, you're talking to all the busy physician moms and dads out there now. How do we create story and experience with wonderful flavors when everybody's like, oh, I got to get home, make dinner real quick, go to bath time, bedtime, this, you know, the whole circus, the three ring circus. Give us an example. So, you know, I think number one is recognizing that food is important. I think so if you if you think food is important, you'll make time for it. And if you recognize that you make time for it, then I think you'll go out and go for fresh ingredients rather than getting your purees out, which are bought, you know, which are, I don't know how many, six months old or however old they are and hence less flavorful. Go and zest fresh oranges, fresh citrus, you know, go and get seasonal fresh fruit and puree food if your toddler is into that. Cut out, you know, squeeze things, get them to touch food, you know, grow your food. Like it's it's those type of experiences which actually enlighten children and make them curious. They're curious by nature. They're explorers. So if you allow them to have messes with food and you you allow them to lick food, you allow, you know, make it fun experience, you know, make a fresh puree and just, you know, put your finger into their mouth and say, that's tomato puree. That's, that's slushy tomato. That's, that's like a little peach. So get them started in simplistic ways. So I'm talking about like really young children. So as babies, that's what I did. I mean, anything that was seasonally fresh, I would puree, chop, squeeze, get them to touch things, smell things. I mean, citrus, it's heavenly, you know? So get them to, to smell things, to experience things, and then show them a lot of food documentaries. 
You know, <laughs> yes, really? lovely, fun pictures of food. Show them fun, fun, bright pictures of food. People enjoying food. So they get in interested because they're curious. They want, I want it. I want that. I want that. So cheese is always a pleaser most of the time. But go with the less processed cheeses like mozzarella. Go for the fresh mozzarella as opposed to the string cheese. Okay. Fresh salads, cucumbers. They love cucumbers. I haven't met a toddler who doesn't have cucumber. I haven't met a toddler with cucumber allergy yet. But cucumbers, things like that. I mean, that's how I got them started, you know. And then I think they're into starchy foods and breads. But go with the healthier versions. I think I would go with, I, I'm, I'm somebody who would go with semi-homemade you know, as opposed to fully homemade, get yourself comfortable in that. And then if food is to become your priority, if you're going to do, if you're going to do that, take, make some time to create a pantry that will serve you well and do a little food prep, which would be, you know, whatever that would mean. So if you're somebody who is not good with chopping vegetables, Okay, get yourself a manual food processor as opposed to just an electric food processor. Get your children involved. You know, food safe food processors, which will actually help you. Like I have a food safe, uh, a kid safe mandolin, which allows them to actually chop food with me. So get them a, as a, a part of the experience. So and start small, like mashed avocados. Who doesn't like guacamole? Get them, get, get them into making smashing avocados messily into squeezing uh, limes and lemons, you know, licking the lime and lemon, making lemonades, fresh lemonades. Those are the kinds of things I would, I would uh, get started with. Okay, I'm going to do that tonight because my, uh, we have a bag of lemons and my daughter has been asking to make lemon salad for the past couple of days. So we just need to make time to do it, right? Because we have all these fresh lemons and she loves lemon. Okay, and a mandolin. So a mandolin is like a food processor. Uh, no, it's like a manual uh, food processor where you can actually, yeah. So actually, you know, for me, being the physician, the nerd that I am, you know, all of us, we need to have functional bodies. So I'm not about automation. I, I don't want, want us to just be lost with technology and, and love the touch of food. For me, it's about the whole physical process of grinding, of, you know, either be it a ricer, a food ricer, or a food processor to actually chop your vegetables. You know, cutting your vegetables evenly with a manual food processor is physical work, but it also keeps you in close touch with your food. And it also allows to get the work done faster. So I think it has multiple benefits in that realm. And because food is cut evenly, it cooks evenly if you're cooking the food. But if it's a salad, I mean, fine, it looks pretty. Ah, okay. That Yeah, that is a trick, cutting the food evenly. Okay. I'm going to look into that. Mandolin, getting my kids a little bit more involved with preparing. So I knew they do that at school. They do that. Both of my kids do that at Montessori school. They help. Yeah, they're supposed to. I know they, things have changed and back and forth with the pandemic, but getting kids involved. Okay. Showing them food documentaries. What would you recommend we start with? Just pick something. I can't think of any, but there's so many videos out there, you know, just, just find something. I, I like to watch cultural videos that are food-based, you know, and the best, the easiest thing is to just turn on Food Network and PBS. PBS has so many of these uh, lovely shows. I'll just tell you this. Um, so my, my daughter loves to walk, watch Jacques Pepin, the, the French chef. 
and he is so kid centered you know he he actually cooks with his granddaughter oh my god yeah so so she finds that amazing and then there is this grandma lady called linda who is uh, italian and she loves to cook with her grandkids um and then uh, simply ming loves is is lovely he's a, he's a san francisco based chef and uh, my daughter loves to watch him she actually knows all the big players i mean you know home cooks of course um uh who else oh uh julia child can't can't uh, be more classic than that you know and even though she is this not very child friendly person but she has this amazingly soft demeanor which is so welcoming to kids because she's so unusual and that's very attractive to them so everything baking bread oh my god julia child so my daughter loves to watch julia child so food shows i so immerse them in culture and show them pbs pbs is our go to and food network okay oh my gosh i wonder if we're going to notice the mickey mouse switch from mickey mouse to julia child but we'll we'll i'm going to try and sneak that in there <laughs> and another one america's test kitchen oh my gosh we're such fans Oh, America's Test Kitchen. Okay, I've I've definitely seen that one before. Okay, writing that. And then let's talk. Let's wrap up with a little bit about financial stuff, money, and let's just relate it to food. So, do you ha- keep a food budget, or go to certain grocery stores, or is everything out the window because this is your passion in your life, and this is where you spend your money? You know, so if I was to really budget food for food and dining expenses would be like 10 times what I spend on on actually food right now because I love to cook and I really feel that now I have greater quality like greater quality assurance, quantity, flavors, taste, textures and time and convenience. Like Event because I like to cook more than I like to eat outside. I love I love both the experiences, but I feel like I prefer the home experience, which is more comfortable, especially and I think more forgiving with kids being as messy as they are. They're not like the most socially well behaved and appropriate. You know, they're making messes in in restaurants, and not everybody looks kindly upon messy, loud children. And so they get to be who they are. We get to have fun with food. and i get to introduce them to my kind of cooking and they get to be their own cooks and they're going to have their own food personalities right and so for me the food budget is so much lower when i am cooking and buying my own food as opposed to having a whole dining budget which would which would be much more so honestly i think and being a vegetarian um it's different i guess um uh, i'm not vegan but um i don't pay attention to my food bills because they are necessary they're a necessary part of my life uh it's 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 an essential part of my existence of my being of my being it's it's it it is my spa money because food is so relaxing and calming and it is my food money okay your spa money going to whatever grocery stores for your freshest ingredients is namita's spa money oh, i love that okay so Do you have any other guilty pleasures? I mean, do you like purses, dresses, spending your money on traveling? Yeah, anything else like that that you maybe budget or homes, cars, or is your what does that look like? So, uh multiple guilty pleasures. Got to have a good car. So, I so I I am I'm a person who who likes finer things in life, so I want to have the Porsche in the house. I, you know, so 
I, I, I like to have the best of, of its class. So if I, if I choose equipment, it has to be the best in its class. It has to be tried and tested. I'm not an early adopter, but I like to have the best. So yes. So uh, I'll wait for it if I can't afford it now. So uh, I'm, I'm not frugal, but I think I'm wise. I, I think I'm, I'm careful about how I spend money. Uh, so I'll wait. Um, and I, I think what are my other guilty pleasures? So I think it would be cars. It would be have, living in a great neighborhood, clean house. Um, it would be having decent, clean clothes. <laughs> uh, I think I would like to have travel budget um, and live in good areas, you know, good, good hotels to have a clean, safe experience. Safety comes equally with, with cleanliness. So clean, safe. Um, and so I think it would be a little bit of that. And so I'm, I'm not somebody who, who wants to have multiples of the experience. I would be happy with one of a wonderful experience. How do you do that? Like, how do you sit down and do that with your husband? Do you, do you budget for that or something you're currently working on or what, how no, does that look? We, we are very um, on the fly planners. And so, um, and I think for right now, I think last five years, I think has been a, a bit of a, 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 you know, just I think with kids and traveling being a little difficult, you know, I'm not the kind of person who will just travel just to show something on, on Facebook. I don't live a Facebook life. So I'll do it when I, when I actually would can have fun and when I can have fun with the person I'm traveling. So we've traveled to Mexico, Canada and India, like despite having the little kids and have had wonderful experiences, uh, but I haven't done much traveling other than that. Uh, but I don't budget um, for travel. Who knows, it may change, but for right now I don't. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, are there any take home points that you want to reemphasize or anything we forgot to cover when it comes to medicine, marriage, money, food, as we wrap up here, sweet Namita. Oh, wow. Uh, so many things I could talk about, but I would say that let's not depersonalize and uh, deprioritize food. Food is as primitive um, and core, corely essential um, aspect of our life that we are innately good at. You know, it's it's a place where it could be a relaxing, like cooking your own food and having a connection with your food could also bring more normalcy and connectedness to yourself, to your body, to better health, to better quality of relationships. Uh, it could be a bridge to having difficult conversations, to starting amazing conversations, to sustaining relationships with your family, with your community. And also to, um, I think, just healthier communities where people are connected and share freely. And, um, and I think uh, food and uh, food is, I wouldn't say food is everything, but I think food is an essential part of life. And so let's not just forget about it. Let's give it more time and attention uh, and put it on some list, some, um, some part of our agenda in any given day, any given week. And let's not be so ambition driven and almost um, foolish to think that by chasing our ambitions, we can buy back our health, our precious memories with our families, our health um, and, uh, and our relationships. I mean, uh, food could be a simple conduit to all these different things only if, our, if we simplified our life and 
and allowed for all these things to happen. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, food is essential. We all have to eat. So let's prioritize it. It can connect us in our relationships. Can it can be healthy with it, right? So, okay. Well, thank you so much, Namata. It was so nice to have you on and hear your story. Your, I mean, traveling from Armenia to India and your family and the matrimonial section. Oh my gosh. This was very special. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kate. What a great show with Dr. Namata. Before we end, here's a quick reminder. If you want to boost efficiency across your practice and make staff scheduling easier, try the Deputy app. You can try this smart technology for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash deputy. That's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash deputy. with Namita, Dr. Namita Kansal. Oh my gosh, I did not know her marriage story and how I met you in that 20-page matrimonial section in the Indian newspaper. That just cracked me up. <laughs> that her husband's uncle found. That was so amazing. So I just want to share my three big take-home points from Dr. Namita, and they will all be focusing on food, of course. So number one... <laughs> Let's not depersonalize and deprioritize something as essential as food. Food can be a relaxing place. The kitchen, cooking can be like being at the spa if you're Namata and you have the right mindset. It could bring normalcy and more connectedness to your family in the kitchen, at the dining room table, at the kitchen breakfast nook, at the lunch table. Because we all have to eat every day, let's work on bringing food as something that bridges us, that connects us, that creates sustainable relationships, not something we just eat on the go while we're walking or while we're in the car. Let's personalize our experience, prioritize our experience with food. Number two. Food has the power to bring communities together. Now think about this. I mean, everybody needs to eat. Usually multiple times a day, if you're fortunate. And food is something that truly brings communities together. Whether you're eating, you know, at a street food stand, or you're in one of those communities that cooks pots of food in front of your house and shares it with the neighborhood. I'm I'm thinking when I was uh, when I used to live in Mexico when I did like uh, or studied abroad in Costa Rica that kind of thing people people would do that the whole neighborhood would come out you'd it you'd it'd be a thing where you might have dinner at one house you'd go uh, just you'd share your food it wasn't something that you hoarded or you it was something you shared you connected with other people it's and it, because it is an essential part of everyone's life. If you put time and attention into it, put it on the agenda, make it healthy. You can make it healthy. Namita says, we cannot buy back our health or our relationships. So let's work on them now. And we can focus on mealtime, our health, what we're putting inside of our bodies and how we're connecting at the breakfast, lunch, snack, or dinner table. So let's go work on it. Number three, 
get your picky eaters involved. And this is for you mamas and papas out there who have little toddlers or maybe picky picky babies. I mean, where, whenever it starts for you, but we can start early. Get your whole family involved. Okay, so how do you do that if you're taught if you have a toddler? Well, you get them to to have a kitchen safe tool so they can start chopping up the vegetables with you. They can feel it, they can touch it, they can smell it. Turn on the food network, show them bright colorful pictures, make the experience fun. I have to work on this instead of just getting out the frozen chicken nuggets all the time. I really have to work on, okay, how can we make, and I love, I'm all about the fresh fruits, the seasonal fruits and vegetables. I know I just need to prioritize a little bit more time. You know, what is that five or 10 extra minutes that we would spend just touching, smelling, licking the fresh fruits and vegetables or freshly cooked? I need to do this and maybe you want to as well. And that is it, my beautiful friends. I hope you guys walk away asking yourself, if I died tomorrow, Would I be happy leaving the world as I am right now? Or can I begin to share a little bit more of myself, be a little bit more authentic, share my passions with the world in whatever way I can? Do I make time to savor, share, and truly enjoy my food? How can I make mealtime more enjoyable and healthy? And how can I share more love through food, through mealtime, through cooking? I hope you guys part with something that you realized, maybe some realization, something you hadn't heard in a while, something that sparked something to get you inspired to go cook or create something in your kitchen, connect with a, with a friend over a meal prioritize food in your own life since we all have to have a sustainable source of energy. And if something did spark your interest, please share it with somebody else who you think could use these words of wisdom from Dr. Namata Kansal. I would really appreciate it. We would also appreciate a five-star review with a little little word on Apple Podcast reviews that gets more people to listen to, to our show. And of course, you know where to find me, medicinemarriageandmoney.com or Medicine, Marriage, and Money Facebook group if you are a physician. And of course, as always, you're welcome to join my husband's Facebook group and YouTube channel, 39.6. If you are more focused and interested on finance, I know I touch on finance at the very end and he heavily focuses on finance information. So we'd love to have you in both of our groups, in both of our lives, reach out. I'm always here for you for advice, for questions, concerns, so much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.